Well, good morning. Um, if, uh, if you're our first time here, we're really thankful, but I'm going to give you a PSA, love little public service announcements before I jump in. So if you're with us and brand new this morning, last week, Jared and myself, who's another pastor in the church, kicked off a series we've called Taboo. And, and what that means is that they're subjects, specifically things that we have a tendency not to talk about as part of a community of faith. And here's why. Because they tend to induce a level of shame and we struggle with uh, remaining or allowing things to, to remain hidden in the context of those things. And so the really topic of taboo that we've been talking about is, is pornography and sexual sin. And it's because there's a sense in which it's, it's not only prevalent in our culture, but it's a, it's a pervasive reality of what exists and accessibility is higher than it's ever been. And one of the things that we see on a regular basis is just the, the challenges that tend to uh, mount as uh, the church seems to at times remain silent on what it looks like to uh, walk through the truth of God's word and understand who he's called us to be without doing a level of drive-by guilt and shame. <laughs> so the church has, has always had a position, I mean, church universal on, 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 on sexual sin and pornography. The Bible's spoken about it in numerous ways, but here's the challenge. One of the areas that I think we face numerous times is that um, because there's such a level of shame and embarrassment, it, it tends to either feel like there's condemnation coming from the pulpit and a, a, a difficulty of knowing how to understand what restoration, freedom, and redemption look like. And so for us, what we've wanted to do is as best we can humbly communicate about not only our journeys and what the Lord has been doing and has done through the context of our stories, but set up a place where we as a church can be committed to being a home for the hurting. That this can become, as we commit to the community of faith and the bride together, a safe place to wrestle with these things corporately. One of the great things that Jared shared last week as we were doing kind of a, a tag team conversation about why this topic is so essential is at the end he said there are numerous stories of freedom that we can see consistently throughout all of church history of people who found freedom and, and um, joy from, from not, no longer being crippled by, by sexual sin and the struggles with pornography. But we've never heard a story of someone doing it alone. And it's true. We're committed to walking alongside one another and partnering with one another in whatever way we can. Because we know that moving towards dealing with this conversation elicits a lot of different emotions and feelings. And so we want to journey together through that. So one of the things we've done, because we know that sometimes when we have prayer up front, and you've got all these six or seven elders up front, and it just it feels intimidating, although they would love nothing more than to pray with you and pray for you, um, is we put together a an email address, and it's freedom at PS Bible. And all we want you to do is if there are things that are going on, it's a way for you to, to have access to, to myself specifically that doesn't, doesn't uh, you know, force you to feel like we just have to do it face-to-face -face just yet, but be able to walk through conversing and talking about those things and realizing that God has given us an opportunity to journey together through some of the challenges that we face. But in staff meeting, one of the interesting parts, and, and I was really grateful that we have such a, a creative and collaborative staff, one of the things that they said is, I wonder if there's any women who might be struggling with pornography who wouldn't want to email you. 
And so one of the things that we're working on is coming up with another email address that's going to be Freedom Women at PS Bible. And one of the counselors of our church is going to be female counselors of our church, I should say, is going to have access to that and be an avenue for you to be able to talk about those things. So what we wanted to do is be able to have this discussion and walk through the reality of what God is doing in our midst as we seek in every area of life, any sin that tends to entrench its way into our lives, that, that God through the power of the gospel grants us freedom. And this is one that has just really caused a lot of damage and one that tends to remain in the shadows because we struggle with talking about and and feeling shame and embarrassment over it. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. And we're going to be jumping in. So last week was our just discussion as to the whys. But now we really want to dig into dealing with the heart behind it. Because in any sin, really, but, but specifically the areas of sexual sin and pornography, those tend to be symptoms of deeper issues. That there's other things that are drawing our attention to those things that we want to be able to look at and begin to understand kind of the motivations behind it. Because then we, we experience the truth and the freedom of actually what we're looking for as we move to those specific areas. Naomi's a junior in high school and she's in AP Biology. And many of you know during your junior year, whether you're in AP Bio or not... Uh, junior year tends to be the year of dissections, right? So whether it's frogs, and Naomi was going through all the specific ones that they're doing, like frogs and fetal pigs and cow's eyes, and, and apparently this year they're doing a cat. Uh, so just so you know, that's what's going to be happening in my daughter's life is dissecting this dead cat. Uh, but in the process of that, what they do is they walk you through, and the reason why dissection is so critical for uh, a biology class is you actually get to see and experience the different elements and different aspects and anatomy that exist within these animals. And so you, you, you open them up and you look and you, you find the heart, you'll pull the heart out, you'll dissect it, you'll look at the right ventricle and the left ventricle, you'll, you'll look at the right atrium and the left atrium, you'll see where these vessels go, you'll look at the liver and the lungs, and, and you'll, you'll look inside and you'll see all the pieces of what things look like inside that you would just normally read in a textbook. And it makes a difference because you're actually able to experience experience and see very specifically where those things are and how they all work together. I, my, I, I preempted my, my girl's dissection by going dove hunting just this last week, week and a half, and they, they had to be able to clean the birds, and then we got to see the hearts and all of those other things. So, you know, we're just overachievers as we, we uh, hunters are overachievers looking at all those things. But so that's what this morning is. This morning is dissection. And what I mean by that is what we're looking at is, is we're allowing the truth of God's word to kind of cut things open and see how things are operating and working together in such a way that we have a, a level of understanding of how our hearts are motivated in so many different ways. And the, the unique part is that there's uniqueness of what we're going to see in each other's hearts. So this surgical, tactical work that the Lord's going to do this morning in dissecting what's going on inside, the motivations that lead to areas of temptation, pornography, and sexual sin are likely going to be different. 
The, the different histories and stories and experiences, as, as you heard last week, if you were with us, and if not, I invite you to, to look on our YouTube channel and kind of get a, a sense of reflection as Jared and I walk through a bit of our journeys. But he grew up in a solidly Christian home, faithful to Jesus. I grew up in a non-Christian home, just very different experiences in the context of those things. And yet the reality of how things can operate and generate and how temptations come are significant because there's a, a universal reality that we are all pulled in a thousand different directions. So this morning is that dissection. Welcome to biology class. Little did you know that's what was happening. So there's this drawing of what's taking place in our hearts that we actually get to look into. And I'm going to tell you this morning that um, as difficult as it might be, it's one of the most faith-filled, courageous things that you can do. For, for all of us, but looking inside and seeing what's there is absolutely terrifying. And it's terrifying for numerous reasons. One, because there's parts of our own hearts, myself included, that I know what's there and I don't want to look at it. Secondly, there are times as we allow the surgical knife of God's word to work inside of our hearts. Right? Hebrews tells us that. The word of God is what? Living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And what does it do? pierces to the thoughts and intentions of the heart, right? So it, it, it's the surgical scalpel of God doing things to show us. And often as we look at God's word, we realize that there are pieces that are there, but there are often times where we're surprised at the things we see inside. It's the most faith-filled, courageous thing that you can do to allow the truth of God's word to surgically cut our hearts open. Who's in? No amens. No, uh, it's hard, and I get it. But let's look at the text this morning and allow the word to, to, to walk us through what this looks like as we think about areas that we're drawn to filling selfishly our own needs in ways that God, in, in, in unhealthy ways that God has perfectly provided for us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10 we're going to do 1 through 14, and I'm going to read it all for us, and then what I want to do is just pull out some very specific pockets that I think are helpful as we realize some things that are going on inside of us. Here's what Paul says to a church that's struggling, and the church is struggling for numerous reasons, not the least of which is division. The other piece is that they're apathetic towards sin in general, and there's a sense in which sexual immorality has really taken root where it becomes, has become so normalized in their experience that it's no longer things that they worry about or address. Like this church is having a tough time. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate from the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. That rock and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up and play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. 
We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you're, beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. G.K. Chesterton said, there's a lot of ways to fall, but only one way to stand up. <laughs> And I think he's accurate and gives us a picture into the context of this text. That, that Paul unfolds for us a reality of how frequently we're inundated, and even the church in Corinth is inundated with opportunities to prioritize their own specific temporal needs over the perfect provision of God. Like There's just this sense that what Paul does is he gives us a window, or if you will, a dissection into the heart of man. And here's what he tells us. In the heart of man, we are notorious and typical individuals that see our present need above and beyond God's perfect provision. We long to meet our own hearts in ways that satisfy us, even only temporarily, even if we know the cost and the challenges that could exist and that mount and intrude into our lives. And, and yet we, we want what we want when we want it is kind of what Paul is saying. But he doesn't start there, does he? Chapter 10 Verses 1 through 3 unfold for us this sense. And what he does is he reminds the people of God about the provision of God. And here's what he does. Remember the times when God had led you through the wilderness and, you know, a cloud of fire by day and a cloud of, no, that's not right, whatever. You know, he was leading them with his presence. Um, golly, you'd think I'd know that by now. Um, pillar of fire by day. Yeah, what if something happens at night too, right? Golly. I haven't slept enough. I don't know what the deal is. Anyway, so he's leading these people through the essays. He's reminding them of the Red Sea. He's walking through all of these realities of the perfect provision. And then he's telling them, look, and, and your fathers, here's what they did. They ate spiritual food, food that provided manna from heaven. And then water as God provided the water. And he even tells us in one of the most remarkable passages in all of scripture, he leads them back to the Old Testament. He said, remember how the rock had followed you where that rock was Christ. That Christ was involved in the, the reality of the perfect provision in, in these believers and these followers of God in the Old Testament. And so as he moves them to this, this sense and this reality, he's saying, look, all of the things, every aspect of their lives was taken care of by God. There wasn't one that was missed. God supplied all of their needs, and yet their hearts overvalued their immediate desires. Here's what happened. Their desires for their certain and particular appetites drew them to things that they thought that they were missing out on. And so what he's telling them is that there's this sense in which you and I are amnesiacs by trade. By trade and by choice, we continue to forget about the perfect provision of God when we think he's keeping something from us. Right? 
I mean, there's not a moment in our lives where we look at the struggles, specifically with pornography and sexual sin, where there's this desire to say, hey, I'm wired this way. These are the things that I long for. I want to meet my own desires. And in the moment, the struggles with those things draw us to that place, moving us away from the reminder that God has consistently and faithfully provided for his people. So here's what I think he says. Past experience is no guarantee of future obedience. Say that again. Past experience is no guarantee for future obedience. Let me just put it as simply as I can. There is no cruise control in the Christian faith. You can't set it and forget it. There's a sense of how God is calling us to remind ourselves that we are typically drawn away to overvalue our immediate needs and think that somehow in some way we're living or dealing without and missing the grand scope of God's perfect provision for his people. He's provided everything necessary for faith and practice. There is not one thing in terms of the goodness of God and his abundant mercy and grace that he's withholding from you or from me. He's given us all that we need, but we're amnesiacs, right? We, we voluntarily forget and we feast on the immediate. We, we think of what we're losing and what we're missing out in. And so what do we do? Well, if God's not going to provide for those things, I'll take care of it myself, right? There's just this utter reliance. So as as the surgical truth of God's word begins to dissect our hearts, here's what we tend to default to, myself included. If God can't give me what I deepest desire, I'll find it for myself. So what becomes our God? Our desires, i.e. the term idolatry. We are absolutely daily, minute by minute, worshipers. That's what we've been fashioned to do. The struggle and the draw is that often we worship the created things above the creator. That we find our affections and our hope and temporary satisfaction above and beyond the full, complete, eternal satisfaction we find in Christ. The immaculate, miraculous, amazing provision of God is so often things that we tend to forget as we move and find ourselves inundated with challenges and struggles that are seeking to draw us away. Whether it's stress in marriage, whether it's loneliness in relationships, whether it's worries and fears about the future, there's a sense in which what we try and do is anesthetize ourselves with temporary comforts of the world and we're, we're missing in times the joy that has been provided for us in Christ. And so what God is doing is, as he inspired Paul to write these words to the Corinthian church, is he's communicating very, very clearly that, that often, because we miss the perfect provision of God, we think that the circumstances that surround us and our immediate feelings are actually accurate, true, and reliable. And the Bible would tell us, Jeremiah would say, well, from my understanding, our heart is wicked and incredibly deceitful. <laughs> we, we tend in our own desires to think that we see things fully, but yet we miss the full provision of God. So we, we have feelings and they're big and significant, but they're not reliable. 
One counselor says your feelings are real, not reliable. And I've said that before, but I think that's true. And I think that's what Paul's getting at in this text is that everything that God has provided becomes quickly forgotten when temptation intrudes into our life. Everything that God has perfectly provided, we quickly forget when temptation intrudes into our life. And so because that draws there, because God is dissecting our hearts and allowing us to see those things, here's what he does as he moves on. He says, now these things took place as an example for us, verse 6, that we might not desire evil as they did. So, so now he's saying, look, I just want you to learn from other people's experiences. Remember the Old Testament followers who had this consistent up and down roller coaster in their relationship with God that everything was great when God was providing, but when everything was good, they decided they didn't need God anymore and they had actually accomplished it themselves. And so they took up the mantle of their own life and decided to do whatever they wanted to do. Things fell back into the pit again. They said they were sorry, pled back for God to work. God in his mercy responded to their prayers. Things were good again. When things were good again, they thought that they had solved their problems and they didn't need God anymore, i.e. Old Testament, right? I mean, the entire book of Judges is that rhythm, right? It's up and down of everything's great because God provided. And then all of a sudden we don't need God. And, and there's this rhythm in the book of Judges that says, and they did what was right in their own eyes. It's just human nature that when things seem to be operating well, we contend to be able to try and manage the brokenness and the sin in our life and somehow in some way think that God isn't who God says he was and we aren't who God says we are, which is dependent creatures in need of a savior who's at work in our lives in tremendous ways to grow us in intimacy with him. You have value, of dignity. There's no condemnation, Romans 8 tells us, for those who are in Christ Jesus. So as we talk about this desire and these challenges of sexual sin, what we're saying is the goal is not condemnation. The purpose is freedom. That we don't have to remain hidden and isolated thinking that somehow in some way these things will just go away. Well, they don't go away. You know why? And he's going to move into this in a second. Is because the things that we are challenged with don't exist out just outside of us but they live and breathe inside of us. That there's no temptation that has seized us that is not common to man. When he says that, he's not just saying that universally we live in a world that's broken, which is a part of it. He's saying it's common because it lives and breathes inside of us. And what it does is it reminds us of a desperate need for Jesus on a regular daily basis. An unknown author wrote this. Lust, I read somewhere, is the craving for salt by a man who's dying of thirst. Seems appropriate, right? That we, we tend to give ourselves to immediate desires and cravings at the expense of what, what God is calling us to and what is already provided for his people. So Paul says in these verses, verses 8 and following, that we are surrounded by things to worship. We must not indulge in sexual morality, he says, as some of them did. 23,000 fell in a day. He's referring to Numbers 25. We must not put Christ to the test. And so what he's saying is keeping ourselves in situations that continually draw us to those places of meeting our own personal satisfaction above and beyond reminding ourselves of God's perfect 
provision. And Jared next week is going to jump into, you know, how do we equip one another to really walk through fighting these struggles and, and sin, specifically with sexual sin and pornography, because it's so pervasive. How can we walk alongside one another and learn to love Christ more and fight together well and partner and choose to say, you know, we are going to join together and walk through these things. So he says, we must not put Christ to the test, verse 9, as some of them did, and they were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them, again, here it is, as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stand take heed lest he fall. God is faithful. Oh, no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may endure it. He starts off that text by giving us an understanding that not only are we surrounded by things to worship, but the, the real core issue is that we can get to the point where we could actually end up thinking that we're so prideful that the sin that others struggle with, we don't. That somehow, in some way, that, that a church or even followers of Christ could get to this understanding that they've so moved beyond some particular said sin that it can't manifest or intrude or, 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 or make its way into our lives again. And so he's telling them to be careful in this sense of, of generating a level of humility of what it means to, to love Christ and daily depend on him because every sin that exists in all of humankind exists in the hearts of all men. There's a capability that exists in all of our hearts to move away from the perfect provision of God. There's a story about a guy named Michael Breeson. He's a, he was a new father way back when. It made national news, but he didn't start off to have it make national news. Here's what he did. He uh, decided that on his wife's first Mother's Day, so they had just had a brand newborn baby, Jason, and he made his way. His wife was a, a nurse at a local ER, and she had to work on Mother's Day, but he wanted to be a, a good, diligent, wise husband and make sure that she felt celebrated on Mother's Day. So he he picked up Jason and put him in the car and bought balloons and flowers and made their way to the, to the local ER and had a celebration of just in, encouraging and, and uh, celebrating his wife on her first Mother's Day. But she had to get back to work, so after about half an hour, he had to load back up the balloons and the flowers and put them back in the car and drive back home. And so he did. He forgot one thing. As he loaded the car with the uh, balloons and the flowers and began to drive, uh, all he heard was all of these people honking in the loudest way possible. And he was going 55 miles an hour down the freeway until he heard the scrape of the car seat coming off the roof of the car. He had put the baby on top of the car and it had just, just made its way. And so in just utter shock and horror, he stops the car, he runs, Jason is fine, but he, he sits on this curbside just with utter embarrassment, shame, feeling terrible as a father and a person. And sure enough, the cops show up and what do they do? 
a heart of compassion, they gave him a ticket. And then the national news reporter decided to interview him and also then interview the wife at the ER. Just making the shame and the embarrassment of just a mistake become so public and blown out of proportion. And then you have all of these people making an analysis of how could someone do that? What would that actually, how could they be that? And his wife, interviewed by this reporter, said, I don't know how it happens, but my husband is a good man. And he's a good father. I tell you that to tell you this, that there are plenty of Michael Breesons inside of all of us. There's numerous catastrophic poor decisions that are a part of our journey. We have our lives peppered with bad decisions and mistakes that have happened. And often, the church can function like the policeman. They just want to write you a ticket. Say, how could you let this happen? You should know better. Or we could say and dismiss, well, my, my husband, my life, the person, they're a good person. And this is just an abnormality or an anomaly in their life. Or we could take the biblical view. In the context of all of our lives, there's a reality of what exists inside. And what exists inside is that we all have the tendency to self-protect, to self-satisfy, to have the desires that we want to have and meet those desires in the way that we think that they should be met. We forget the perfect provision of God. We are in desperate need of the reality that Christ is the source of our identity, not ourselves. It's not as though we are just good people because I think in, in an essence there's a desire to be good, but by nature and by choice we commit selfish acts against God on a regular basis. The goodness that we experience is from God himself and God alone. The reason there's no condemnation is because those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, the cross condemned their sin. It's been washed and taken care of. They've been freed. We've been freed from an identity that's placed onto us by things outside of us. Our identity is in Christ alone. So at the end of the day, here's what you get. You get that pornography and sexual sin is at its very core, dissection, misplaced worship. Pornography is a fruit of misplaced worship. Areas of wanting to feel like there's places of maybe some motivated by comfort, maybe by approval, a desire to experience things above and beyond the perfect provision of our creator. So if we look into our heart and we're able to to peer into those things, what we see is that we're at a place where we just desperately need the, the, the grace of Jesus Christ to be at work in our lives. We, we see what's inside. And what's inside is that we have wants, we have longings, we have desires, we have hopes, we have fears. And all of those things tend to be the loudest voices in our life that move us to try and figure out ways to meet those things. When Christ communicates to us on a regular basis that he is the source of our hope. He is the solution and the antidote to our fears. Why? Because he draws us into intimate connection with him. This isn't about writing a ticket and saying you've made a bad decision. This is about an awareness of how desperate we are for the need for the gospel to be applied to every moment of our lives. 
Whether or not it's you that struggle with pornography or you know someone who does, the sense is which it moves us, whatever the sin might be, to a place and a knowledge that Jesus alone is the hope of how we find joy and freedom and strength to allow him to be the source of all of our provision. Amen? He's where we go. There's an old African tribe that used to figure out how to hunt ducks. <laughs> and they didn't have guns or pistols, and ducks were skittish by nature. But what they decided to do uh, was somewhat innovative. So the ducks would land on this kind of pond, a sort of river. A river fed this kind of larger pond. And what they do is they would put pumpkins in the river. The beginning of the river where the ducks didn't know, and, and the pumpkins would, would slowly but surely make their way down the river. The first pumpkin that made its way into this whole flock of ducks, the ducks got nervous, scared, and flew away immediately. But then they came back to the same feeding ground. So this African tribe continued to just put pumpkins in the river. And slowly but surely, after four or five different pumpkins made their way, the ducks got used to the pumpkins being on the river. And they were so familiar and even at sometimes expecting the pumpkins to come that they just made their level of comfort with the fact that pumpkins were making their way down the river and, and almost oblivious to the fact that they were even there. And then what ended up happening is the African tribe would send men to put their head in the pumpkin and make their way down the river. And then what they would do is they would grab the legs of the duck and pull them under. What do you got? Roast duck. Right? So the sense is which that we live in a culture where Satan is sending us pumpkins and communicating to us that there's a sense of normalization and this is how we think about sexuality and it's just typical and commonplace and all of those things. And yet we, we realize that the, the joy of what Christ has for us is in Christ and not in satisfaction in the world. And yet we're so convinced that we live in a world filled with pumpkins that sometimes we miss that pumpkins are even there. And not even aware of the destructive reality of what that takes place. Thus the reason for the discussion. We want to come to a place where we as followers of Christ can be open and honest with one another. We are convinced here as a body of Park Springs Bible Church that the sin has decreasing power the more it's in the light. Sin grows in the dark. And so we find ourselves even drawn to hiding, even drawn to self-protection. Hear the words that you will hear as we walk through this series. There is no way if they knew what I knew about myself that they would ever accept me. You'd hear that. You, you, you're telling yourself, I'm telling myself that. That if, if, if somehow in some way people knew how bad I was or how bad I think I am, they would never want me to be in the face of this church. And that's a lie from the devil. That's a pumpkin. Because <laughs> God, through the power of the gospel, has granted us freedom from sin but a community of faith to walk together through that sin with. You are not alone. I'll give you this one thought. What we become 
what we become used to, we no longer fight no matter how dangerous it is. What we become used to, we no longer fight no matter how dangerous it is. There are pumpkins that are making its way into our culture that we are so familiar with that we tend not to fight anymore. And my hope for us this morning, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 14, is that there's no temptation that has overtaken us that's not common to man, not just that it lives outside, but that temptation lives and breathes inside of us. And God, through faith in Christ, is the source of strength and provision. And the Bible unequivocally and universally says in that text, God always provides a way out. Let me offer you this. What if part of the way out is the very community that God has given you? What if it's us together walking and journeying through those struggles to experiencing freedom because of what the gospel and the power of the gospel has? Consider it, if you will. Let me pray.